You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky films and why we frickin' love them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This time we're looking at French horror film, or is it horror? I guess we'll find out. Eyes Without a Face, directed by Georges Franjou in 1960 and filmed in beautiful black and white. It stars Edith Scope as Christiane, Pierre Brasseur as Dr. Genissier, Alida Valley as Louise, and Juliette Mignel as Edna. Gary, what's it all about? There's a bit of plot here, so, you know, uh, hold hard. It's, um, so, we start with an eminent French surgeon, Dr. Genessier, who incorrectly IDs the body of a young woman who has been dumped in a river as that of his missing daughter, Christiane. This isn't surprising as we've already seen the body disposed of by Genessier's secretary, heavy air quotes, uh, Louise. What is more surprising is that Christiane is alive and well in Genessier's sprawling mansion slash laboratory, along with several caged dogs and Louise. We are not allowed to see Christiane's face. This is because her face has been hideously disfigured in a car accident caused by Genessier. Genessier's cunning plan to rectify this is to use his peerless surgical skills to heterograft another girl's face onto Christiane's. But to do that, he has to have Louise lure a young woman to his mansion and then drug her and then remove her face. But the faces keep refusing to accept their place and the girls keep disappearing. Christiane is also forced to wear a ghostly mask and this and her father's apparent disregard for others um, horrifies her. But surrogate mum Louise helps Genessier pacify Christiane. Uh, we learn that Louise's loyalty to her monstrous boss-slash-lover-slash-owner is because he repaired her face after a similar incident. The only sign of this is a tiny scar on her neck that she hides with a choker necklace. The dastardly duo capture another young woman, Edna, and Genessier successfully, and in convincingly graphic detail, removes Edna's face and grafts it onto Christiane's. Edna attempts to escape, but in her panic falls from a window and dies. Another body for the pair to dispose of. But this heterograph appears to have worked. Or has it? Lindsay, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? I think what is weird about it is that it looks so beautiful while depicting these horrors. Yeah. As I said, it's it's filmed in, in black and white. The visuals are very dreamlike. Uh, there's fog, there's mist. There's lots of stuff that you don't see initially, such as Christiane's face. Mm. She she wears a mask, as you say, and when, when you see her put it on, it's a thick kind of porcelain mask that she mm. wears. I, I think in the rest of the film, when you see her acting, her her it's makeup. It's not a porcelain mask, it's makeup. Yeah, but the effect right. is absolutely ghostly. So the film's called Eyes Without a Face, and, and with her porcelain mask on, you see Edith Scobes' very lively eyes in this blank, kind of kabuki... Yeah, blankness yeah. of a of a of a white face, um, and the white night dress she's often wearing. Yeah, as well. absolutely. So this this is not a film that's just in black and white. It focuses on the blacks and the darkness and the white and the light. And it's it's very. I mean, there's barely any shades of grey. You know what I mean? The the light the lighting in this is is so stark. So it's it's very very beautiful to look at. 
Except there are bits which are really kind of icky and gunky. Yeah, and certainly the um, operation uh, that's being done on Edna to to Mm. remove her face is... You see that in quite gory detail. You really do. Or do you? Because now I'm now I'm thinking <laughs> about it. It's like, is that just suggested? You believe you see it in gory detail. Yeah, my, my, I think that's spot on. My memory of it is, you know, what you are seeing is a scalpel cutting into a face and you are seeing, it's in black and white, but you are obviously seeing blood. Um, what it makes it feel like is you've seen an entire few human being's yeah. face cut off because it's so... Yeah, who wants, yeah. wants to watch that? Who wants to watch that? And you can only imagine what that was like in 1960 for yeah. the audience. You know, we're talking the same year as Psycho and Peeping Tom, and those two were controversial yeah, enough you know, yeah. for what they did, but they weren't, you know, cutting women's faces off with scalpels. Yeah, but that, that's really interesting because I am genuinely questioning myself as to what I actually saw. One thing that you do see and that you do hear in that surgical scene is his repeated use now in my sub- subtitles it said pliers right he kept saying pliers 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 now they look like surgical clamps and maybe had the subtitle said clamps it would have been less yeah. horrifying but just pliers when you're talking about somebody's face is genuinely I horrifying well. i noted that as well and i guess you're right maybe it's a lost in translation yeah. thing it's supposed to be clamp or or, or, or whatever but yeah, pliers. Yeah. Oh my lord! <laughs> it's kind of. I think what what makes this film so wonderful, and and it's been very very influential, and we'll talk about that later. But um, it's it's horror as I think he described himself. This is Franju as um, he said he felt the story was not a horror film. Rather, he described his vision of the film as one of anguish. It's a quieter mood than horror. More internal. More penetrating. It's horror in homeopathic doses. <laughs> Excellent. And that, that really feeds into the kind of the medical aspect of it. So yeah. Dr. Genissier really kind of feels he's God. And so although he's caused Christiane's accident that, that has, has caused this uh, to happen to her face. And I don't know if you noticed, but what has happened to her face is she was in an accident. Mm. It got burnt. Her face got burnt. She was then in the water for so long that her face disintegrated and the rats got at it. So yeah. <laughs> there are four causes why her face is just eyes yeah. without a face. Yeah, absolutely. It's And yeah, I can't put this too, too you know, many times. You're constantly caught while you're watching this film between how gross... Yeah. The, the, the the actual reality of this is, you know, that that that's a disgusting yeah. thing that you just described, and immediately makes you go. <laughs> Yet you're watching imagery which is often stunningly beautiful. Yeah, and it just keeps catching you off guard all the way through, and and it gives everything this dreamlike quality, but it's sort of dodging between spooky dream and utter nightmare. Yeah. And um, and I think also, you know, it, it, Genesier is very much of an, yet another version uh, of the mad scientist horror idea, yeah. you know, the Dr. Frankenstein. And but he is less sympathetic. I, th- I think he may be one of the ultimate bad guys. There is nothing you like about this man. He's horrible. No, do you know what he reminded me of? And I don't know if it was just the beard, but or that general kind of implacability that what I'm doing is right is the the bad guy, the immensely bad guy in the vanishing. 
Yes. That kind of yes, yes, that yes, normality. Yes. So, I mean, mm. this this film is all about false faces, isn't it? Christiane has her false face. Uh, Alida Alida Valley as uh, what's her name, Louise. Alida Valley as Louise mm. when she kind of befriends these girls in in mm. Paris and mm. and t- to take them, but to basically drug Lure them, them back to their doom. Uh, yeah, they're going to get they're going to be drugged. They're going to be killed, and their face is going to be cut off. But she's motherly and she's friendly. Mm. Um, she's so very she's, person-centred. She is, she, and she's got a very she's got a false face as well. Yeah, and obviously, Doctor Genisier is is lauded as this great scientist, mm. um, and no one knows the truth. Everyone thinks Christian is dead. No one knows the monstrous stuff that he's capable of, and that I guess leads me to the question, Gary. And I'm going to pose you a question mm. for a change because I mm. often I just answer yours, but here's one for you: <laughs> Is he doing it for science and research, or is he doing it out of love for Christian? I think I think for me it's a very disturbing mix of love for Christiane and a fascist disregard for all human life. Yeah. Like the, he, I think there there is, you know, there's a Mengele in in him, you yeah. know, that that he he literally believes he is right. Uh, the rest of humanity are ants. Um and and the only reason that um um, oh my God! Uh, his daughter's Christian. Christian is above the ants, is because she's his daughter. And I guess I'm not convinced that she is above the ants. I think he's got a lot invested in the greatness that would accrue to him in his own mind if he were Maybe. able to to pull this off. Maybe. I mean, his only, I guess, his his concession to Christian is that he doesn't allow mirrors in the house. And I don't know if you know, mirrors feature a lot when they're not in the house. So, for instance, two other scientists are talking about Dr. Genissier after he's um, given a, a lecture. Mm. And you don't see them talking. You see their reflections in a mirror mm. as they are talking about him as he's leaving. Yeah. So there's all, this, there's all this kind of quite, you know, Jean Cocteau-like, I guess, yeah. imagery and, and, and symbols just lending itself to the the visual beauty of this film. True, but the other side of it, why I why I I take your point, but what I would say is, well, if that's part of his agenda, he's really not thought this through, because he has convinced the authorities that his daughter's dead. So if this works, and you know whatever, he as soon as he tells the world about the brilliant thing that he's done. Uh, he's basically going to be in prison. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. Murder, think, I don't know. think he cares about the public acclaim. I think he wants to show himself. He only Maybe. values his own opinion. He Maybe. wants to show himself that he can do yeah. it. Yeah, and that comes over quite well, isn't it? Because there's an uh, an early scene where he is giving a lecture about yeah. you know his breakthroughs in or whatever to you know a, a set of people which remind me slightly of the the, the sort of audience at the Manchurian Candidate dream yeah. or something because <laughs> they mainly seem to be old ladies um, who are perhaps excited about the idea that maybe somebody might be able to graft a, yeah, a, a young woman's face onto their face. Um, and, he, you know, when they're coming to him afterwards going, oh, you're wonderful, you're fabulous, the work you're doing is amazing. He's completely unmoved, isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't yeah. care. He doesn't care. He's no. not basking in it. He's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yes. need you to tell me. Kind of <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, Frangie's interesting, though, because the, the, the interesting thing about Frangie is... He got a lot of stick in France for doing this mm. because he was a quite well-established member of the sort of avant-garde cognoscenti, I suppose. He was a, a high up um, and uh, he, I think he was at one point the curator of the National Film Library. Mm. So he was seen as a, like, a, an, a, you know, the ultimate in arty people. 
And his contemporaries and peers did not understand why he was mucking back with horror films. And they looked down on him for it. There was also a bit of a, a bit of trouble uh, getting the film actually out and distributed because the original novel it was based on, it had all these elements that were going to make it very difficult to, to actually get a certificate anywhere mm. and get distributed. So, you know, there's this one bit I read somewhere where uh, um, he was cautioned not to include too much blood, which would upset French censors, um, not show animals getting tortured, which would upset English censors, <laughs> uh, not uh, leave out mad scientist characters because that upsets German censors. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, and all th- three of those things were part of the novel. So right. he had to find yeah. a way to make this thing where there wasn't too much blood and, you know, where the, you know, it's a real side plot which becomes vitally important at the end that he's experimenting on dogs. Yeah. It's an anti-vivisection film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. So he's got all these all these dogs that his, I don't know, a gamekeeper or something finds these, these uh, uh, dogs in the woods and then I thought at the first, oh, he adopts the dogs. He's like one of these crazy dog lovers. Uh, but no. Uh, so he's got like 20 kind of odd dogs and, of course, that, that, that people are ants. The, mm. the, the the girls that are collected in the city are just like the dogs that are collected yeah, in the no woods. Different. They are just tools for him to do his 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 research on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and also, oh, and and while we're just on what's weird, but what's wonderful, because we'll get on more onto what's yeah. wonderful. Um, that Maurice Jarre ja carnival yeah. theme. Oh yeah. It, it, and there's basically only two bits of music in it. Um, it's a carnival theme and then something more uh, like more tragic, uh, a sort of more tragic theme. And they underpin the whole film and they're absolutely brilliant. They 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 create so much the right atmosphere. Yeah. For this. I think I think carnival music can sound a bit discordant anyway, even when it's not in a minor key. But it it, it seems uh, so. This one starts with. Uh, Louise disposing of the first body so the first operation has gone wrong and she's disposing of this body to this so she's in her little dechevaux car and this discordant kind of carnival music that's kind of it feels like it's getting slowed down and sped up it feels like it's in a minor key rather than a major key it's 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 kind of a real shock to the system actually yeah. and again juxtaposed with the beautiful dreamlike because the music's telling you this is a black comedy Oh, isn't it? The music is telling you it's a black comedy, but what is happening in front of you is not funny, and that's what's really—it's just, but it's jarring. But there's there's jarring in a you've just blown <laughs> your idea away. Yeah. This is stupid, and there's jarring in a no, you're very deliberately screwing with me, and I like it. Yeah. Kind of way. Um, so it's Maurice jarring. Is that what you're saying? Oh ho ho! <laughs> <laughs> no more Jean Michel jarring. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it it really it's the music is key. Yeah, music is key as the mask and the nightdress. Yeah, um, it's one of those films. It, it literally is once seen, never forgotten, but also once heard, never forgotten. Yeah, there aren't too many of those. Yeah, that's true, actually. Well, I I was reading that uh, Franchu used to hang around with Andre Breton and the Surrealists. That's right. Yep. So and you can you can see that in this film, and I think that's where I'm getting the the cocktail stuff from as yep. well. It it does have that does have that view. So yeah, I mean I I don't. I guess I, I don't wonder that his contemporaries were like, "What is well, this?" Because yeah. there is a there is a surrealism to it as well. And um, I, I guess I'm thinking, well, the the end scene which we will come on to, which is lovely and and horrifying. And uh, in another of our podcasts, we spoke about Shock Corridor and the the mm. kind of the the jar that happens with an amazingly beautiful shot. 
yeah. versus the madness that it's depicting. Yeah. Um, and I think we see that here at the end as well. Shall I do the plot to Please the Please do. Okay, so, the initially successful heterograft goes wrong as Christiane's body rejects her new face. Meanwhile, the police have picked up a crucial clue about the missing girls regarding a woman who always wears a choker chain. They employ a woman to entrap Louise and Genesier by visiting Genesier's clinic and allowing herself to be lured to Genesier's mutilation mansion. Just as Genesier is about to operate on the undercover victim, the police arrive to question him. But like most police in dark movies, they are useless. <laughs> so it is up to Christiane, driven do lally by guilt and horror, to right the wrongs. Louise gets it in the neck and Genesier cannot save face. <laughs> See what I did there, Lizzie, to try not to give away the ending, but kind of I do. give away I do. the ending. Because I, I, I think that, that brings up a question. So I think we are led to believe that Christiane does not know at the start where these faces are coming from. Mm. Although, where does she think these yeah, faces are coming from? Coming from? But, I don't know. Right at the beginning, she already seems miserable and depressed. Yeah. It's, it's not like we're meeting a happy-go-lucky girl at the beginning and then, oh, slowly it's dawning on me, something yeah. bad's happening. She's miserable for, you know, she's already kind of talking about, why don't, why don't, why don't we just kill me? Yeah. Um, I think she is aware and I, I think her father is such a powerful presence um, and such a powerful owner of her people, yeah. uh, her and Louise, um, that she's 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 w- working up the will to rebel. Yeah, and boy does she. And boy does she. But because uh, I was reading something that Franju said about so in 1960, this is like the middle of the the fight for Algerian independence mm. from from France, and that Franju did make a a kind of a link with colonialism and um, at one point Christian says my father always needs to dominate so Christian is potentially Algeria just being like I never I've, thought of it that I've way. had enough I've had enough and I'm turning the tables on you and if you want violence you're going to get violence wow I never thought of it that way but that does make sense that does make sense um so you mentioned the beautiful scene um I I it's a really this is difficult because I want us to talk about the ending because it's Astonishing. Yeah. Um, but we're going to endeavour not to say exactly what happened. Is that possible? I think we can describe think? the last scene without saying necessarily what happens just before it. Perfect. Um, so basically, um, while the doctor talks with the police, Christiane, who has long been disenchanted with her father's experiments, um, while slowly losing her sanity from guilt and isolation, frees Paulette and murders Louise by stabbing her in the neck. She also frees the dogs and doves that her father uses for experiments. And we should stop right there. Um, the thing is the imagery, yeah. isn't it, Lindsay? Yeah. Could, could, could you? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned this kind of white nightgown that she wears. And I think her, I think her nightgowns were done by Dior or somebody, somebody big mm. in the fashion world, actually. Mm. I can't remember uh, exactly who. But so this, this stark white, her white mask, she's got very, very dark hair. Um, and she lets these dogs out. So you hear a lot of barking. There are doves, as you say, flying around. Very, very John Woo, actually. Mm. And, you know, it's mm. face off, eyes without a face. I don't know. Wow. Well, you know, literally the list of films that you can, uh, and cultural artefacts, which you can go, 
Ah, hang on a minute yeah. <laughs> uh, with this one, and we'll come to a few of those. Yeah. But it really is the final shot, honestly, is one of my favourite things. It's one of my favourite things that ever in a film. You just watched <laughs> the bloody, gory and violent end of mm-hmm. a film, and you're treated to a last shot, which is one of the most beautiful things anyone put on a screen. And it's sort of, I don't know, it almost defines the word haunting. Yeah. So um, Christiane has released the dogs, released the doves. She's wandering. She's she's left the building for the first time in God knows how, how, how long. And she's wandering dreamily in her nightgown with her white mask. The night is dark. It's closing around her. She's barefoot. And she just wanders off yeah. into the woods. And it's... It's just really um, chills running down my mm-hmm. spine, even as I'm talking about it. There's a, there's not a film like this that ends like this. And it's it's been really, I've been catching up with a lot, of, well, not a lot, but certainly a few very recent horror movies. And I guess some of these fall under the, the banner, which is usually called now elevated horror, i.e. they're not jump scares and yeah. gore. Uh, and, and it's you know the opposite of torture porn. Um, they're sort of based on character. Uh, they move at their own pace so that character can be built up. Um, surprising things happen in them as opposed to the predictable thing with a lot of gore. Um, and you know, A twenty four, the sort of distribution mm. slash production company, specialise in a lot of them. And a lot of them are very very much female driven. Um, there's a, it's not just the final girl. It's that they're they're female orientated stories where there is a leading female protagonist and there is a feminist edge to the storytelling, and I watch all of them and I think all of them owe something to mm. eyes without a face, every single one of them, um, because that's what eyes without a face is. It's slow. Yeah. It is dreamy. It dares to be beautiful. It dares to be visionary. It takes time building character. Uh, it tells you that there is weird relationships going on between these people, particularly mm. Genesier and uh, Louise. Louise. Yeah, um, it's it's more interested in that. It, there are no jump scares. That that is just not a thing. I don't think there's a single jump scare. Um, it's not what it's about. And if anything, the only part of the film where you sort of watch it and you think, okay, that's a little bit clumsy. You didn't know how to do that. Uh, is when there is a violent act right at the mm, end, mm-hmm. um, which we're not going to to, yeah. to to do the spoiler on. And you kind of watch it and you think, yeah, you didn't quite know how to do that, did you? Because you're not a horror movie director. Yeah. Um, but that's okay because by because then the last image takes over and you don't care about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I do think all these smart horror movies we're seeing at the moment owe something to eyes yeah, without a face. Yeah. And it's, it's really innovative as well, I think, in, in some of the ways it's filmed. So... Uh, when we see Louise at the start in her dishevel car, we're in the car with her again, yeah, and yeah. it's it's amazing how often that comes up actually yeah. as a kind of as a way to implicate the audience. We're there with her doing yeah. this, doing this, uh, doing this dark deed. So, uh, but there are a lot of um, innov- innovative uh, shots in this. So uh, during the heterograft, and I don't know if that's a real word or have we just learned Maybe. it from the yeah. Hopefully, it sounds it sounds possible, doesn't yeah. it? We're not scientists, we don't know. Uh, but during the at first successful heterograft, how that is shown afterwards is a series of stills yeah, over the next three weeks. Yeah. So you mm. the, the, you see the face successfully, in, in yeah. inverted commas, on Christian's face. 
And then gradually it starts to peel, it starts to unfurl, it starts to discolour. Yeah, it's and quite powerful actually. It, it really is. And it is literally a series of quite quick stills and it, it looks very scientific, it looks very documentary-ish. Yeah. Actually. It looks a bit Chris Marker, doesn't it? Yeah, like absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then the, the bit where we do actually see Christian's naked face yeah. at, at one point, but it's done very... It's kind of suggested as well, and I guess I'm thinking yeah, back to what I said earlier. Beautifully, how clearly do we see it? Because it is quite um, vague, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's 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 not entirely crisp when you see it, but you do see a sight of this kind of presumably red, although it's in black and white. This this kind of dark face that's emerging as she sees herself in a window. And this is, this is, I think, what comes back to Franz, you going, you know, it's not a horror film. He, he, has a cho- he can make a choice there. Yeah. The, the choice there is to give a big stab of music and you see her face yeah. in all its hideousness very, very clearly and the camera holds on it for at least a second or two. Yeah. He's not making that choice. Yeah. It, it comes into view for what feels like a half a second and then sort of dissolves. Yeah. So you've, you're frightened and... Before you've got time to go, oh my god, that's gross! It's she's kind of slipped into a sort of dreamy yeah. haze, yeah. And 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 it's it is really really innovative and really creative. And I agree, I really agree with him. I don't. It is a horror film. It goes in the horror genre, yeah, because it's talking about horror type tropes, but it's not shot like a horror film. Yeah. But it's it's shot like a horror dream, and what's scarier yeah. than a horror a dream? Shot like a nightmare. It's shot like a nightmare. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm happy with that. I like that. Shot like a nightmare. There you go. <laughs> um, so maybe we can mention some of the things that have definitely been influenced by Eyes Without a Face. Um, I think probably most of you have noticed, as our esteemed producer Russ immediately did, that there's a Billy Idol hit song <laughs> um, called Eyes Without a Face. Um, that definitely much goes to the 80s, uh, this very strange little 80s period, where it did seem like there was a book of European film titles that when songwriters were a bit hard up, for <laughs> they just go through them and just pick something oh don't you call this one breathless oh we'll call this one bizarre love love triangle oh we'll call this one you know um so eyes without a face i'm not sure it really has anything to do with the film perhaps the most um one that is actually most obvious when you think about it is um john carpenter's halloween oh yeah um michael myers very famously perhaps the you know most famous film uh, horror movie franchise um uh, that's ever been um is based on uh, a tall man walking around with uh, an implacable mask uh, which which shows sort of his eyes but no expressions um, i'm sure a lot of film buffs will know that um, they had no money to make a mask so they basically bought a few masks from a shop uh, and chose the william shatner one because it was the one that was had least facial expression to it um there <laughs> poor you go william shatner. poor bill um <laughs> pure bill um <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna try and do my william shatner um but yeah so that mask, the Michael Myers mask, if you've never seen Eyes Without a Face, uh, the Michael Myers mask looks like Louise's mask. It yeah. does. It, it's a slightly... Christian's even... mask. Oh, Christian's mask. Yes, of course. Sorry. Uh, it looks like Chris, Christian's mask. And um, it has that same expressionless strangeness, which is immediately frightening without having to do anything. Yeah. But it's it kind of... It really represents Christian's character. She... 
she floats through this life that she's in. Mm. She reacts to nothing, it seems. Yeah. Um, and her face is actually a really good representation of what's going on for her. Yeah. It's just she's floating above whatever uh, concerns her dad and Louise have, whatever wherever these girls are coming from. She does like the dogs. Mm. She does like the dogs. Yeah, she and does. That, and that, that helps her out in the end. But, you know, you, you would say that mask is a blank. It's showing us nothing. But actually, it's it's showing us what her life is. Yeah. There is empty. nothing for her. It's empty. And the way her reactions are also empty. They come from nothing. She has no heart. She has no feelings until she she kind of gains some, maybe slightly too late at the end. Because God knows how many women have, have, have died. Yeah. We see one. Yeah. We see two. The third one is the, the bait who yeah. survives. But how many have there been before Absolutely. the first scene when Louise is dumping that first body? Absolutely. And maybe it, it, it's almost like Christiane has... It's the it's the mask, the blankness of someone who's lost faith in humanity. Yeah, and and therefore that whole last walk into the forest, into the natural world, yeah, surrounded by doves and dogs, yeah, um, is kind of like this is the part of the world that I still do have some faith in. Yeah, yeah, and it's not a question where you think, well, what's going to happen to her in the woods? Because it does not matter. It does not matter. It doesn't. She matter. transcends. Yeah. She transcends. Yeah, in her angelic nightgown, she's she's already off this earthly plane, whether you, she's alive or not. You'd never get it made now because the first question they ask anyone is, "Well, what's the franchise possible?" Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's Eyes Without a Face too? Yeah, yeah. Where's the cliffhanger? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, there ain't one. No, ever, never happening. No. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> Thank God for one-offs. So I think you were right when you mentioned earlier that I think Face Off uh, had a bit of influence mm. from Eyes Without a Face. Uh, another obvious one is The Skin I Live In, Pedro uh, oh, Almodovar, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, uh, which is about uh, a very similar subject. Yeah. Uh, Almodovar was quite open uh, about the fact that it was heavily influenced by Eyes Without a Face. And actually, John Carpenter, the, the, the John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, um, that wasn't a theory. That, that was, you know, right. uh, they've both said, yeah, Eyes Without a Face, perhaps. Basically, in their initial notes for The Mask, they'd written down, it has to be blank and featureless yeah. or whatever. And then afterwards, John Carpenter said, I don't know where that came from. Maybe Eyes Without a Face? <laughs> and probably it did. Excellent. You know. I, love, I love that because in all the films we talk about, we're normally saying, of course, the French loved it. And here we're saying, this was a French one. Everybody else loved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It makes a change, doesn't it? Because yeah. there really is this theme about, oh, the French rediscovered it. Everybody else thought it was crap. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think the French were particularly crazy about no. this film. Um, I think it was American horror directors... Um, and and yeah, you know, Almodovar, you know, later arty directors yeah. who rediscovered it and kind of said, yeah, no, no, hang on, this this is a work of genius. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, I'm trying to think, maybe uh, pliers. Right, how many pliers for weirdness? How many pliers for quality? For me, um, it's ten pliers for weird, um, and eight quality oh i'm gonna go nine weird nine quality yeah uh, fair. yeah it's fair. beautiful it's beautiful and re-watching it again for this i was just kind of saying to myself why am i watching this once a year it's amazing yeah, it's a once a year film yeah you really always see something new in it yeah. yeah i agree okay guys um that's eyes without a face um if you have any interest in not just in horror uh but in all kinds of films surreal uh, random um, and ghostly and fantastic, uh, we recommend you see Eyes Without a Face. Till next time. Till next time.
What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.